Welcome to the Heart of Healing, the Good News episodes. I'm your host, Tom Fold. In these episodes, we will speak with people who are helpers, who are passionate and compassion, compassionate and positive, and who have a bit of good news to bring into our lives. Listen with an open heart to those who are offering their hearts and talents to all of us. It is our wish that each of these episodes will bring a smile to your face and hope to your heart. And to help us do that today, our guest is Vince Santilli, who is the CEO of Homes for the Brave. Welcome, Vince. Thank you so much for having us, Tom. We appreciate the opportunity. Well, I'm very glad to have the opportunity to share what you do. Tell the people, what is it that Homes for the Brave does? Well, Homes for the Brave, by the way, opened in 2002, and we serve men and women experiencing homelessness, almost all of whom are veterans. And so we have three facilities here in the city of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Um, our headquarters is in our 42-bed men's transitional house, which is right here on Park Avenue. We have the first and only house in the state of Connecticut exclusively for female veterans and their young children. And we actually have three little, little ones there right now, ranging in age from five years old on the high side to 10 weeks old on the low side. That's and amazing. Then we have a, yeah, and then we have a, a permanent house in uh, Bridgeport as well that has nine beds called Waldorf House. So if we were... At the beginning of 2022, that was the extent of our three programs or three facilities. And we also have a clinical program under the direction of Dr. Stephanie Lynham, where we treat our veterans for issues such as PTSD and overcoming addictions and, and so forth. We have a vocational program in which we help them find employment opportunities and We've had just a, a wonderful record of doing so. And we also have a walk-in drop-in veteran service center. And that has computer classes, job prep workshops. We've had therapy dogs come and visit. We have movie showings and so forth. And those were our three facilities. But in 2022, we have opened three more. So we have opened two houses in West Haven, Connecticut, both smaller ones, so they total 14 beds. They're both within the shadow of the VA Medical Center in West Haven. And on June 22nd, we had the grand opening of an annex in downtown Bridgeport. And in the annex, we have um, basically, uh, we're hiring a therapist, we'll have individual and group therapy, we'll have follow-up case management, we will also have an emergency, and we do have an emergency food pantry. And for the first time in our history, we're not only serving veterans, but their family members as well. well that's quite wonderful. You led me to a question, which had to do with what in the homes, uh, you just talked about the annex having certain services. Are there services within the different homes? Like I see you have the homes that include children. How are they being cared for? Besides well, the moms, obviously. Sure. Our Madeiras house, which is named after a young man from Wilton, Connecticut, uh, Nicholas Madeiras, who was killed in action. He's an army, was army uh, veteran and was killed in action one month before his 20th birthday. And his parents are so involved in our programs. And that uh, we have a program manager there who 
handles our, our female, our women veterans, and her name is Nancy Carrion, and she does just a, a magnificent job. And then, of course, we have our clinician is housed here, and she will see veterans in each of our facilities, actually. And the annex is something new. It's non-residential, so it's just a, a suite of offices. It's just absolutely beautiful right in downtown Bridgeport, which is three minutes away from here. So we have, you know, a, a, a van that we're able to then transport our veterans here for programming or folks that come there to the annex and need to meet with one of our staff members here. And we can then move them back and forth between the two facilities. That's wonderful. Now, how do most of the veterans hear about you, learn about you, so they know you exist and, and if they need services, come and ask for them? Well, sometimes they just walk up or, or call and they've heard of us. We are also a grant and per diem program of the Veterans Administration. So if a veteran reaches out to the VA's homeless outreach team and, and is determined an appropriate fit for here, and, and typically what I mean by that, our facilities are ones in which the veterans have to be working on their sobriety. And so if a, a veteran said, you know, okay, that's not something that right at this point in time is something they're interested in doing. They would probably be housed elsewhere. But if there's somebody that is, uh, does have an issue and a problem uh, with sobriety, then they would certainly send them here and we would help them work through that. And our whole goal, Tom, is to help our male and female veterans become permanently housed. So we get them ready, hopefully, physically, psychologically, um, and financially, certainly, because many of our veterans come to us without having anything lined up as far as employment is concerned. And so we help avail them to the job opportunities that are out there. And, and we do everything from resume writing, interview preparation, and even sourcing with local employers here in the Connecticut uh, communities. That's a tremendous amount of work. I mean, the need is great, obviously. When, when most of your veterans who come to you and are homeless and need shelter and wish to be moved, moving to a permanent world, what is, are they basically having PTDS? Or what, what is the, the issues that most of them seem to have? Well, Tom, it's usually three things that will land a veteran in one of our houses. And, and these things can occur in any, and of course, addictions and um, certainly so uh, the use of drugs or alcohol could really derail somebody who had everything just going in the right direction, that had a family, that had a job, and then all of a sudden uh, an addiction then uh, uh, kind of surfaced and that ended up them losing their job and perhaps having uh, estrangement from their family. Um, other things that could occur is they could lose their job and then that will cause them perhaps to start drinking or uh, a marriage uh, or a relationship to dissolve. And the third thing is sometimes the relationship dissolves and then that precipitates them losing their job or turning to drugs or alcohol. It's usually those three things in any, you know, in, it could be all different orders. And I should also indicate um, uh, roughly three quarters of the men and women that we serve are experiencing mental health issues. And, 
And let's face it, in the two and a half years since COVID has arisen in our country, um, that's become, I think, more and more common and, and really more predictable for so many of the veterans that we serve. Sure. And so those are, you know, so those are typically the scenarios. And I should also add that we have men and women in their 20s and we have men in our men's house right now in their 80s and every year in between. Wow, that's amazing. Now, you mentioned COVID. How do you all cope with COVID? I mean, the COVID, you, ha- you can't do this on Zoom. You know, you have to be, people have to be served in, the, you know, in person. Boy, and in March of 2020, when the pandemic surfaced, it was just incredibly frustrating because we couldn't, you know, in a sense, we did curtail the staff coming in. I ended up here every single day for a period of uh, from January of 2020 to I, I took my birthday off in June. And in that time was pretty much here on site every day. And it everything that we do, we've had to do a little differently. We've had to serve meals and shifts. We've had to take uh, meetings that were group meetings and then do break, you know, break the groups up. So we didn't have 35 people sitting in the same room, potentially infecting one another. And that's something that let's face it, when COVID first surfaced, you know, we didn't really know a lot about it and we had to be and so we do still have rule, and I still have my mask here. And so when I leave this office after our call, I'll be, you know, we still have, everybody does have to wear masks in the house. We still have social distancing. We, you know, th- this is a challenge that has, you know, has not gone away. Right. Have you found that any of your people, either the, the clients or your staff, have have come down with COVID? Oh, all all the time. I mean, yeah. we're, and when that occurs, then we're under certain protocols from the VA. So we then will go through a period of time where they can't and won't send us anybody. We have to then close the house to visitors, which it is right now. And when even if there's one or two cases, then we have to we have certain rooms we have to keep as isolation rooms. So if anybody is currently testing positive, we then have to isolate them. We'll bring their meals to their door. So it's really, it's become something where some things that took two or three steps now take seven or eight. So yeah. it's been an enormous strain on the staff. And every time we think we have the pandemic in the rear view mirror, it seems like it comes back. The positivity numbers are rising again. And, and we just went through a stretch in the month of July where we opened the house again. And for a few days, it was open. And then there was a positive case and we had it then kind of reverse course and it's just and and by the way the protocols are when that occurs then every resident and staff member has to be tested and has to they have to all be negative and then it has to occur a second week and then upon those things taking place that's when uh, some of the protocols are lifted and uh and we can start getting you know new residents sent to us and so forth so it's a tremendous, it's, tremendous work that you have to do on top of the basic work. I was just going to say, yeah. So it's taken, you know, the challenges and ratcheting them up about seven levels. And, uh, and, and boy, headaches have abounded. And, 
But again, we feel really fortunate, Tom. We've had, you know, we've had a, a number of cases, obviously, but nobody's gotten really sick. Nobody's died, thank God, and and so forth. So we've been able to really work together and keep everybody healthy. And and the residents have, I think, done a great job recognizing that and trying and following the protocols and and you know, working together to keep everybody safe, staff and residents for that matter. Yeah, that's great. Let me tell me some about your staff. You must have a varied staff. I mean, all kinds of jobs that they have to do. Yes. Well, you know, we have just a magnificent leadership team. Um, and Dr. Stephanie Lineham is our uh, chief clinical officer and, you know, handles the clinical piece. And our chief operating officer, Maria satterwhite Papora is just a, a brilliant woman, does, does an incredible job. And we now have our staff, because of the new facilities, our staff has now grown to 35. And so, you know, just a year ago, we were in, in the 25 range and we are now up to 35. And our transitional houses here and our female house, which is just five, about five minutes away, they're both 24 7, 365. So, and I'm really proud to tell you that here in our men's house, which has 42 beds, 37 of which are allocated to and for veterans. We have a seven to three, a three to 11, and an 11 to 7 a.m. overnight house monitor. Every single one of those house monitors is an alum of our program. So they have lived in this facility. They understand they've been through the program and maybe now they have an apartment across, you know, across town or a few blocks away or wherever they may live. And so they provide a beacon of hope for the residents that are here now and can say, hey, look, buddy, you know, I've gone through this. I was in your shoes, whether it was a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. Now that's my car in the back parking lot. I have an apartment, you know, across town and I'm part of the team here. So that's, you know, they become role models and in many respects, beacons of hope for the gentlemen that are now with us. That's wonderful. I mean, I, I did never heard of that before. I don't know if you're the only place doing it, but that is, is a marvelous thing to do. As you say, the beacon of hope and role models. I mean, who do we learn from? We can be told a lot, do this, do that. But when we see somebody who's gone through what we are going through and see how they came out, that, that, lead, that is really encouraging. So I'm delighted. And the people who've gradu quote, graduated, if you will, and are back now working, they're earning some money doing this and helping other people. Absolutely. And Tom, sometimes, you know, I should share with you that roughly 20 to 25 percent of our men coming to this men's transitional house are coming to us directly from incarceration. So sometimes helping them find employment in the competitive marketplace is not always that easy. So in many respects and in many situations, we're able to then give these gentlemen opportunities here in order to build their resume and, and kind of, you know, get them back on their feet and so forth. And, and you know, if I sat here and said, well, we've batted a thousand with that, everyone that we've ever done has been a, a remarkable success. I mean, we, we've had a, a few <laughs> disasters, but I think by and large, we've had just some spectacular success stories. And I, and it's really a proud moment when someone can be visiting the house and can then say to me, wow, the gentleman I encountered in the front office is so helpful and engaging. Where did you find them? And it's great when I can then turn around and say, you know what? I found them right here. 
they were living here and now they're working here. Right. Well, you're, you're, double, you're doubling the good that you're doing when you're ta taking people who have been incarcerated and helping them and helping them to, to get back into the world. Uh, even whether they're veterans or not, this certainly is a wonderful thing, a service, a great service. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Yes, sir. We're proud to do that, uh, Tom. And, it, and again, it's to see these stories and to see these uh, folks unfold, you know, and the way things unfold and they're so committed to their work and to the organization. And it's, um, you know, we, we're very proud. When did you told the organization began in 2002? Is that my me right memory? Yes, sir. Yeah, we are about to, in just a few weeks, we'll be celebrating our 20th anniversary Right here in our parking lot, we're going to have bands playing and food and, and really look at our, our, proud, our proud past, our present, and then uh, hopefully our, our very bright future. <laughs> That's wonderful. How did it get started? Who is it? One or two people or what? That sounds like a, such a big it was Four people who got together, uh, a couple of them were Dr. Lurie Harkness, who ran the VA Medical Center here in West Haven. And uh, Tony Chinquanta was somebody that worked along with Lori. And then there have been, you know, a couple of others, but they were really, I think, the driving force behind saying, this is really needed. I mean, to, you can't just take somebody who is experiencing homelessness, veteran or non-veteran, and then say, okay, here's the keys to your new apartment. Good luck. Right. Without preparing them without helping them prepare. And so we have life skills workshops every Thursday afternoon in which, you know, some of the, and those rotate between nutrition, wellness, financial literacy, and daily living skills. So we may have experts from the community come in and, and really talk to our veterans and, and really educate them and prepare them for the time whereby they're going to have their own apartment and can, you know, we want them to be not just be out there and, and, and survive, but you know we want them to thrive and, and be kind of uh, forces for good in their communities when they go back out there. Actually, and be able to give it back, give back as many of them seem to be doing. That's what. Yes. Are yes. the are the people who are doing some of these lectures and some of these teachings are they volunteers or mostly? Oh yeah, they. You know, I mean, sometimes the staff members themselves will, will do a workshop, but, you know, I found it's, it's really great when, you know, they're used to hearing from us, the, the, the residents. So it's nice when somebody comes from the outside and it may be somebody to do a job prep workshop and somebody that works in an HR department of a company and can say, hey, this is what we're looking for. Or somebody with financial expertise. Many of our local bank folks from local banks and credit unions will come in and do a workshop, perhaps on how to utilize the banking system, how to reestablish or establish credit in the first place. And you know, workshops like that, which I think our our residents are very engaged and and will ask a lot of you know awesome questions. And it's you know, this is I think. A really important part of what we do. And we also have a 12 station computer lab downstairs in our basement. And so computer classes are Tuesday and Thursday afternoons. And that's a very big piece of what we do because again, who these days, who can really survive without having any computer literacy? I mean, everything just to apply for a job. I mean, who takes a paper resume anymore? 
you know, you have to go on a website or a portal and, and put your application in and, and be able to, you know, I, I think uh, know your way around that system a little bit. And even for our, our veterans that are coming to us that are perhaps on disability or past job seeking age, you know, when they get their own place, they're going to want to communicate with friends and family members. Maybe they're going to want to pay bills online. And so they're all, those are all things I think that are important for them to learn and to know. To learn, absolutely, and to know. And then after that, they have to have the machines too. I mean, not necessarily a big computer, but they have to have iPhones or something like that or iPads. Do you have any programs for donating to? Well, the VA has, I think, some wonderful programs out there that veterans can then get, you know, free cell phones. So just about everybody that comes in here does have one. And then we have to have volunteers sometimes come in and do workshops on how you know how to use your phone uh, most effectively and, and so forth. Yeah, that's good. That's that's wonderful. I'm, I'm being someone from the generation of growing up with dial telephones. I needed a lot of help, and so luckily I have a 25 year old daughter, so I get all <laughs> the help like from her. But you know I can see it coming in into a situation like you're having that they would maybe need some teaching, and that's sure. good. Absolutely. So now, how about yourself? How, you've been, how long have you been doing this? Well, I uh, April of 2016, I came to Homes for the Brave, and I knew of the organization, Tom. I had been a volunteer here, and ironically, had been in this house uh, the Sunday before Christmas every year since it opened in 2002 uh, to a veterans visit that I, I chaired through my work with the Knights of Columbus. And and that is still going on every year, by the way. I think we just hit our 29th year uh, last December. And so that kind of made me aware of, of Homes to the Brave. And, and then when I was transitioning, I, I my career was as a banker previously. So when I was, and I was 31 years here in the state of Connecticut and uh, in retail banking roles. And so when I was kind of transitioning out of that, the, the uh, previous CEO here had just retired. And so the position was available and I just interviewed with along with about 400 something other people, but, but uh, it's been, it's been, it's amazing work. And, and this organization was just incredible before we got here. And what we've tried to do is take it up a few notches to the extent we've been able to. That's quite wonderful. And it sounds like they found a very good candidate. They could, they found you. And with, with, with your background and your enthusiasm and you're already volunteering. Uh, is there other opportunities? Are there other opportunities for people? I suddenly was thinking, this would be a place if I had, if I was living nearby you and I had teenagers, I'd love to bring them to, to somehow learn something about what's happening here. Because that's not something you understand. You see a little bit on the news, but you don't really understand the homelessness and how it can be helped. Do you have any kind of uh, outreach like that? Oh, absolutely. And we've had a number of groups, even church groups and, and some of the local high schools will send their, their students here and they'll do, they'll help us in the back, you know, in the yard and doing some of the landscaping. We have gardens here and young men from, you know, uh, an organization along with their moms come and tend our gardens and and so we've had them, we have a little basketball court out here and we've had youth groups come and paint our free throw lane for us. And so we've tried to get as many people involved in different ways as we can. 
obviously we're always trying to raise money because it's our budget this year is over $3 million. And so it's not easy to, you know, to, in order to generate those kind of funds. And so we are always having events. And so many times we'll have young men from the young Marines will come and help out and sell raffle tickets and things at our events and so forth like that. And that's something we welcome. And this coming Saturday, we're having our signature event. It's called the Step Out for the Brave. It used to be called the Step Up, and you had to run up the stairs at the minor league baseball stadium and later at the arena here at, uh, in Bridgeport. And then when the pandemic struck, we made this a virtual event. So people can then take, they have nine days to take as many steps as they can in support of our veterans experiencing homelessness. They get people to sponsor them. We've had organizations and groups. Right now, we have over 500 people signed up to participate. We have over 45 teams, and this is something we need as much help as we can get. We're aiming to raise $100,000 between August 6th and August 14th, and folks can sign up right on our website, homestothebrave.org. That's homestothebrave.org, and so we would welcome folks from all over. Last year, we had folks from 17 states participate. How wonderful. And thank you for giving me the information. I was just about to ask you because we're moving, quickly moving. This has been so interesting. I keep, keep forgetting to look at the clock and see what time is left. But we're near the end. And I, what I ask to everyone at the end is if someone's listening to us now and wants to learn more like maybe how to get involved with your steps or how you know to just learn more, how can they reach you? And obviously, one way is by uh, homesforthebrave.org. Sure. And if they want to reach me directly, Tom, my email is vsantilli, that's V-S-A-N-T-I-L-L-I at homesforthebrave.org. And I would be sure to uh, certainly respond. And, and again, we would welcome all the help we can get in any way, shape or form. All right. That's wonderful. I thank you. And, and I thank you as we run out of time here. Thank you for this wonderful conversation and for the work that you're doing. It, it, it just gives me a smile and me hope that people are like yourself and all the people who work there and who volunteer there are helping people who have done so much for our country. Absolutely, Tom. It's our honor to serve these men and women that have served and risked their lives for all of us. Well, thank you so much for that. And thank you for being here on our show. Thank you, Tom.